Support this show and all the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at $1 a month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access at the higher levels. Heartlandpod.com. Click the Patreon link or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter what level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. Have reached our cruising altitude. It's time for the flyover. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today. Just this week on Wednesday's episode, I shared an interview that I had with three local school board candidates vying to be their community's voices of reason. I urge you to check it out. They're up against a highly partisan group backed by special interests. Interests that tend to align more with division and buzzwords rather than the operation of a school district. My interviewees are nonpartisan, and at one point, one of the candidates even remarks that school board elections are nonpartisan for a reason. My first headline this week can be seen as a companion piece to my interview, where we see a push in Kentucky to remove any ambiguity at all in the political affiliations of those from the community serving on a school board. Let's dive in. New bill in Kentucky legislature says school board candidates must pick a political party. Kentucky Senate Bill 50 and sister bill in the House would require local elected positions that are currently nonpartisan to designate a political party. This includes local school board elections and will require the offices of boards of education to have a partisan primary or partisan election. Currently, in 41 states and the District of Columbia, nonpartisan elections for school boards are required. There are four states that require partisan elections, while five others allow local governments to decide who sits on the board. Kentucky is part of a small but growing group of states seeking to force partisanship onto the ballot pushed by conservative think tanks. Public policy think tank the American Enterprise Institute wrote in an October 2021 report titled Sketching a New Conservative Education Agenda that, quote, to boost the signal as to what candidates stand for, school board ballots should allow partisan affiliation to appear next to their candidates' names. Kentucky legislators seem to be following this playbook, and so are some neighboring states. After a law passed in Tennessee in 2021 to allow, but not require, partisan school board races, more than half of its counties opted for partisan primaries in August of last year. Meanwhile, in Indiana, a bill to require nonpartisan school board candidates to indicate their political affiliation on the ballot last year received a hearing, but not yet a vote, and a similar bill has reemerged this year. There is an issue that these bills face, though, well, at least in Kentucky. In 1989, the Kentucky Supreme Court ruling in Rose v. Council for Better Education summarized in nine points what constitutes essential and minimal characteristics of an efficient system of common schools, of which point six reads, common schools shall be monitored by the General Assembly to assure that they are operated with no waste, no duplication, no mismanagement, and with no political influence, which raises an important question. Would this even be constitutional? Many argue, and I agree, that requiring school board candidates to have a partisan election would fly in the face of the Supreme Court ruling and undermine the spirit of the job candidates are hoping to fill. The capacities required of students in public education systems as laid out in the Kentucky Constitution do not benefit from partisan leanings. Regardless of party affiliation, every person should want all Kentucky children to have the education the state constitution guarantees. In an opinion piece in the Courier-Journal, Bonnie Jean Feldkamp, an award-winning syndicated columnist, puts 
it plainly. Declaring a party affiliation can make difficult school board conversations even harder. It's true that regardless of declared political leanings, school board members still bring their ideologies and value sets to meetings, but just because a person votes a certain way does not mean they are incapable of open-minded discourse regarding the issues at hand. However, when school board candidates do run with political designations displayed, some constituents could hitch partisan agendas to board member expectations in hopes that their candidate will stay inside a preconceived box. And those assumptions add partisan pressure that should not exist in a school board. When we identify people in terms of party lines, we place people into camps and create an us-versus-them atmosphere that only works to dismantle vigorous discussions about our children's education. School board meetings should exemplify the very critical thinking and problem-solving skills we wish to foster in our students. Every stakeholder's highest purpose should be to make sure every child in the school district reaches their fullest potential. Missouri Republican pushes to legalize psychoactive drugs to treat depression and PTSD. On the heels of a successful ballot initiative legalizing recreational marijuana in the state of Missouri, a St. Charles County Republican lawmaker, Tony Lavasco, has renewed his push to legalize medically some other traditionally criminalized substances, psychoactive drugs like those found in mushrooms. He's convinced that a growing body of research and increasing interest from federal regulators should make treatment with the psychoactive mushrooms legal for people over 21 in the state. In addition to PTSD, Lavasco's bill would allow psilocybin to be used by people with treatment-resistant depression or who have a terminal illness. The administration of the drug would be by medical professionals in a clinic, hospice, or nursing home. Psilocybin and other hallucinogens are legal in a handful of locations in the United States. Beginning this month, psilocybin is legal in Oregon in a therapeutic setting for people over the age of 21. In November, Colorado voters approved a ballot measure removing the criminal penalties for possession of psilocybin and other psychedelic drugs. The New Hampshire Supreme Court in 2020 overturned a conviction on the grounds of the right to use and possess psilocybin for religious purposes. Lavasco's bill defined psilocybin as a natural medicine. In a bill he filed last year, that term had a much broader meaning. It allowed a variety of psychoactive chemicals beyond psilocybin. Lovasco says that this time he hopes limiting the proposal to just psilocybin will make it more palatable to his colleagues. He says, quote, For the purposes of getting people treatment now, psilocybin is the most studied, the most proven, the safest, I think, of the substances that I've been made aware of. I think it's a starting point that a lot of people are most comfortable with. In addition to mental health focuses like PTSD and depression, there are numerous studies showing the effectiveness of psilocybin to treat addiction. And last summer, a study showed that it had promise in controlling alcoholism. When he first decided to work on the bill, Lavasco said his purpose was to make it a liberty issue. The state's high suicide rate and the elevated rate among veterans now makes it a life and death issue. Two years or longer for FDA approval is a long time to wait, he says. The folks that are coming back from war, that are in desperate need of care, a lot of them aren't going to be around in three years. We have what? 20-something veterans per day committing suicide? That's a tremendous amount of loss while we wait for the government to do some paperwork. Now, folks, I disagree with Representative Lavasco on nearly everything, but a progressive bill like this is something I can get behind and give credit where credit is due. It reminds me a lot of Republican Ron Hicks and his pursuit of marijuana legalization while he was still in the Missouri House. Ron's fellow Republicans, namely now State Senator Nick Schroer, stood in his way and in the way of Missourians, who ended up deciding for themselves with last year's ballot initiative. Hopefully, 
Representative Lavasco will see more support. If nothing else, he gets a thumbs up on the issue from this podcaster. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are a 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of the Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for Talking Politics. You can also join a variety of our hosts on most Tuesdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports, like the Delta with Nicholas and Christina Linky and High Country, Sean Diller's Western political updates. On Thursday, tune in for Dirt Road Democrat with Jess Piper. Learn more at heartlandpod.com. And don't forget, for full access to the last call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. In Arkansas, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' landmark education reform legislation titled LEARNS passed the Senate Education Committee on Wednesday, marking the first step to what many lawmakers think will be its ultimate passage to become law. Lawmakers from both major parties said they appreciate certain aspects of the bill, but Democratic legislators say there are certain elements that they could never support. The good, an increased minimum teacher salary, salary increases for current teachers and staff, and early childhood learning programs. The bad? An attack on public schools with school choice elements, focus on CRT concerns, and, if passed in its current form, the measure would repeal the Teacher Fair Dismissal Act, making it easier to fire teachers. Teachers gathered on Tuesday to protest the bill, touting the voucher program's negative effect on public education and a distaste at having very little time to review its contents. In Indiana, on Wednesday, the Indiana Senate Committee on Health and Provider Services advanced legislation prohibiting anyone under the age of 18 from obtaining any medical or surgical gender transition treatment, even if the care for the transgender child is supported by their parents. Officials at the Riley Hospital for Children Gender Health Program said their facility operated by Indiana University Health already does not perform gender surgery on anyone under the age of 18, making that portion of Senate Bill 480 irrelevant. However, they noted the legislation would also prohibit the administration of gender transition hormones and puberty-blocking drugs, compelling any children currently on those drugs to quit them by December 31, 2023, leaving no in-state medical options for gender-affirming health care. State Senator Shelley Yoder, a Democrat of Bloomington, had strong words against the bill, saying, This is devastating for them, and we should all be devastated by this kind of legislation. This bill attempts no scientific understanding, nuance, or compassion. It simply legislates trans youth out of existence. In other Indiana news, Republican lawmakers have moved beyond merely clutching their puritanical pearls over the Kinsey Institute that focuses on sexual research and have voted to prohibit Indiana University from using any state money to support the institution. A far-right legislator, Republican Representative Larissa Sweet, used disputed allegations of child exploitation by its founder, Alfred Kinsey, as the impetus for the move. But let's be honest here. The Kinsey Institute has long faced criticism from conservatives for its ongoing research and the legacy of Kinsey's work that they blame for contributing to liberalized sexual morals, including more acceptance of homosexuality and pornography. Democratic Representative Matt Pierce, who considers the allegations against Kinsey akin to, quote, warmed over internet memes that keep coming back, has noted that the university maintained a department that ensured all research involving humans met federal law laws, and that the Kinsey Institute aims to better understand human sexuality, including how to treat and prevent 
sexual predators, and pedophiles. In Wisconsin, if you tuned in to the Monday show this week, you'll appreciate this update on the Wisconsin Supreme Court primary election. Tuesday, the state's liberals saw triumph. Democrats now have the general election matchup they've always wanted. Janet Protasiewicz, a liberal court circuit judge in Milwaukee County, will face off against Daniel Kelly, a conservative former state Supreme Court justice who lost a 2020 election for his seat by nearly 11 percentage points, which is a colossal spread in such an evenly divided state. Judge Protasiewicz has pioneered what may be a new style of judicial campaigning. She has openly proclaimed her views on abortion rights, She's for them, and the state's legislative maps. She's against them. And it sure seems like constituents in Wisconsin found this favorable indeed. A new report on educators in Wisconsin finds a number of troubling statistics are leading to a shortage, namely in early education. One of every three new Wisconsin teachers is leaving the profession in five years. Roadblocks like the Foundations of Reading Test, a required exam to become licensed as an elementary teacher, special education teacher, reading teacher, or reading specialist, are also serving as a deterrent. Median teacher salary has decreased over the past decade. Using dollar amounts adjusted to 2021, the median salary for teachers fell from more than $62,000 in 2011 to $56,000 in 2021. All of this has led to the state issuing high numbers of emergency licenses in recent years, including more than 1,200 emergency licenses for special education in 2020 and 2021, more than any other subject area. In Iowa, a Senate bill that could reinstate the death penalty in Iowa is moving through the state house. Iowa abolished the death penalty 57 years ago. The bill would allow death sentences only in cases where a child is kidnapped, raped, and murdered. Supporters of the bill say right now there's nothing to deter rapists from killing their victims because a conviction on either charge carries the same sentence. Opponents of the bill say it could result in the death of innocent people if judges or juries make a mistake. In other legislative news in Iowa, House Democrats unveiled legislation Tuesday to legalize marijuana, citing competition from neighboring states. Hey, that's us. With strong support from Iowans and neighboring states that have already approved, it's time to legalize marijuana for adult use, says House Minority Whip Representative Lindsey James. The comprehensive bill we are introducing today will keep Iowans safe, stop our tax dollars from going to neighboring states, improve the quality of life for Iowans suffering from chronic illnesses, and stop wasting state resources to unfairly punish Iowans. The Republican majority, however, has said that they do not expect marijuana expansion laws to advance this year. And considering Iowa Speaker Pat Grassley recently said that it's a possibility that Republican lawmakers will introduce legislation this year to ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth, they probably just don't have the time. I mean, someone has to let these kids know a bunch of grown-ass adults out there don't like them, right? In Missouri, the Missouri Senate voted 29 to 4 Wednesday to approve a $627 million supplemental spending bill. That bill will add 8.7% to paychecks, as well as boost the night differential for workers in 24-hour state facilities to $2 an hour from the current 30 cents. With the state struggling to compete with rising wages in private employment, and for years ranking near the bottom of states for public worker wages, the hope is to see a renewed consideration for government employment. On the eastern side of the state, embattled St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner let a noon deadline for her resignation pass without action, triggering an effort by Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey to remove her from office through the courts. 
Janae Edmondson was in St. Louis for a volleyball tournament when she was struck by a car allegedly driven by Daniel Riley, who is free on bond while awaiting trial for armed robbery. Both of her legs were amputated because of the injuries she suffered. Bailey is accusing Gardner of neglecting her duties because Riley had been cited dozens of times for violating conditions of his bond. In response, Gardner issued a statement accusing the judge in Riley's case of failing to recognize the danger he posed to the community. But she's not just under fire from Bailey, Parson, and other Republicans. Democratic leaders in the city, including St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones and several members of the city board of aldermen, have criticized how Gardner has run her office, and some have even joined the calls for her resignation. And lastly this week, Michigan Republicans have tapped Christina Caramo, an election denier who lost her bid to Secretary of State by 14% last November to lead the state's party. And there was much rejoicing. A thoroughly reasonable choice. Caramo has previously spewed baseless QAnon conspiracy theories that elites sell off freshly harvested organs after abortions, calling it a child sacrifice. She's also accused pop stars such as Ariana Grande of placing children under satanic delusion and further accused Beyonce and Jay-Z of being Satanists. Caramo also dubbed the LGBTQ community demonic and has said that demonic possession can be transmitted sexually. Well, folks, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel you have a story that I should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet me throughout the week at Kev in Midmo or the pod's parent account at the Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from The Daily Beast, The Missouri Independent, Marijuana Moment, The Des Moines Register, KCRG Iowa, Post Crescent, The New York Times, WLFI News 18, the Times of Northwest India, Axio, K-A-R-K, and The Courier General. Thanks for listening. The Flyover Review is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See you all next week.